Hey, dear friends, welcome to the Great Day Podcast. I'm your friend and host, Mayor Kay. And today we have a beautiful, deeply moving and inspiring conversation with two powerful human beings, two men, Moshe Hanan and Rabbi Avrami Tzipel, where we talk about healthy masculinity, vulnerability, and how to show up courageously as a man in this day and age. But before we jump into this podcast, I do want to give thanks to Streitz Matzah. They are America's last family-owned matzah bakery. They are the only ones to produce here in the United States, guaranteeing freshness and quality of all their products. This Passover, the Streit way is the right way. Stock up on items through their website at streitzmatzos.com. And you can use the code MayorK for 10% off your order. Also enter for a chance to win products from Streitz by tagging at streitzmatzos on your food photos and videos. It could be artwork, recipes, songs, you name it, get creative. Be sure to tag them at streitzmatzos and check them out at www.streitzmatzos.com. Thank you so much for the support. So today in the podcast, we have Moshe Hanan. He's an internationally certified professional life coach, a trained and certified addiction recovery coach, and board member at Neshamas.org, an organization dedicated to creating a healthy inner life for youth in the community. We also have Rabbi Avrami Tzipel, a Utah homegrown rabbi, mental health advocate, and survivor of childhood sexual abuse. In 2019, Avrami publicly came forward about the decade of sexual abuse he endured at the hands of a childhood caretaker. He's believed to be the first Orthodox rabbi in the world to do so. And since then, Avrami has taken a leadership role in combating sexual abuse in religious communities around the world and advocating for survivors. We talk about on this podcast with Moshe and Avrami about uh, healthy masculinity, vulnerability, and how to show up courageously as a man in this day and age. I do hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Thanks for leading us in that prayer, Moshi. Um, here we are on the Great Day podcast. It's a it's a, a privilege to be sitting here virtually with uh, Moshe Hanan, professional life coach uh, and uh, recovery uh, addict counselor, and uh, Rabbi Avrami Tzipel, who is the Chabash Liach in Utah. And uh, each one of these men have incredible life journeys and stories and which we're going to delve into shortly. And what we're trying to do here today for those who are listening is to have a real deep, authentic conversation around the journey of healing, authenticity, around specifically around male authenticity, around what it means to be a man in, this day, in today's age, uh, stepping into vulnerability, the power of vulnerability, reconstructing and defining what it means to be to be masculine, to be a man, and to show up in a powerful way for oneself, for the friends, family, and for the world. And uh, and I think a great way to start is just for each of us to share uh, our own journey, our own story, and then we could delve into how that healing took place and bring up those stigmas and issues and how we can overcome them. And by having this conversation, and hopefully that will inspire others to do the same. So, Maishi, would you like to uh, kick it off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, thank you, Mayor. Thank you, everybody who's listening to this. And I truly pray and hope that this will be an invitation to others. You know, there was an overwhelming experience that I'm remembering now is looking out the window of the laundry room in my house and um, bong in hand. Maybe I just smoked. Maybe I just, I was about to. And thinking to myself, I know all the answers. What's, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just apply these ideas that I know that will help me to myself? Why is it that I could help others, but I can't just help myself? And, you know, that in addition to guilt and shame and resentment, that frustration, like, what's, like why can't I just, just do it, right? And then on the other hand, I know all the answers. What's the therapist going to tell me? What are they going to tell me? The same things I've been telling myself all, all these years. I've read the books. I know what it means to be an addict. I know what it means to, to be disciplined, to know the truth. The truth isn't helping me. I believed that it would be useless for me to ask for help. You know, there were times that my wife would say, like, hey, much, I really think we should go see somebody. And I would say, look, you think we need to see somebody? Go see somebody. 
I don't think I need to see somebody. There's nothing that I can gain from asking somebody for help. And today I understand that that would be about being vulnerable, you know, being willing to accept help, being willing to even speak the words. I think I need to talk to someone. I think I need some help. And um, the first time I uttered those words, unfortunately, it took that. But fortunately that it happened. I could have spared myself so much hell if it didn't come to that point. But it was for me, it was on my way to what I thought was going to be the end of my life. And in a, in, a, in a moment of grace, a blessing from Hashem, I picked up my phone and I called my brother and I said, please come help me stop me from doing something to myself. Please come help me. Please come and help me stop me from doing, I'm about to do something very bad for myself. Please come and help me, right? So on one hand, I wanted to end it. On the other hand, I had some sort of sanity that told me that, hey, call somebody and ask them to help you. Because in my mind, my mind at that point couldn't help my own mind. I needed to reach out. And that was that was the beginning of vulnerability for me. I didn't, again, I didn't understand what that word was. I think the only time, I, the first time I ever even heard that word that I can remember is watching that TED Talk from Renee Brown um, and hearing what the word vulnerability is. And, and, um, that was the beginning, you know, and then doing that over and over again, being willing to share things that were like my darkest secrets, things that I would take with me to, you know, to the end of time, to the end of my life, you know, and then sharing that and then being okay with it and being accepted. You know, that was like my journey. And then it was, beginning, it was just like me being willing to ask for help, which a few people showed up and I ended up going to a psych ward and where I was watched for like seven days and then I ended up in rehab. But in, re in the psych ward and then in rehab, being willing to share things with my companions there, with my counselors, uh, with staff there, and then eventually leaving and continuing to share things with myself, like what's going on inside. That was the beginning of the growth. And like, if I would say in short, what has become the benefit of being vulnerable and asking for help was, it was likely the most powerful tool in the process of now being an expression of who I am. I had so much pressure upon myself to be something else that I couldn't just be. I had so many, uh, so much self-criticism and guilt and shame and resentment, right? But all that stuff, like it, it takes a lot of vulnerability to be in, in a disagreement with my wife and then send somebody in inventory saying, hey, I'm angry at my wife for this and this reason. It affects my self-esteem. And my part in it is that, you know, maybe I didn't say the truth or something like that. That's taking a big risk. That's really, really showing my true colors. But at the end of the day, by doing that type of work, I get to live a life free from resentment, you know, and I get to really be me. So that's just like a glimpse into the process of really being a man you know, or just being me. Um, and that's just a small glimpse. I mean, I could go on for hours, but I think that's an idea. That's, that's tremendous. Um, what really resonated with me was the, uh, a big part was just asking for help. That's, you know, the, that's the most courageous thing one can do, I believe, is when they recognize that I can't do this anymore. And I know for myself as a man and there's like from reading books, uh, from movies, from seeing other uh, male figures in my life, it was always about, you know, taking control, having control. I could deal with how else, who else could take care of me if not for myself and, um, and not really necessarily having anybody to look up to who, who showed up in that way, who expressed vulnerability or asked for help. It was always trying to just deal it with themselves. Um, that's, that was a big moment to just like realize like, breathe out, exhale, like lean back on the ocean and let, let that take, you know, take me away and reach out to a friend and say, I need your help. I, and I, and I delved into the therapy. I, well, I was brought to therapy for my parents and I'll delve into my story after we hear from my friend. But even then it was, it was brought to me. I was brought by the hand here, sit down with this person. It was only years later 
that I actually choose for myself to say, Hey, I need help to admit that I need help. And that, and that also that's okay. Um, so that was, that's a major, I think a major, major step forward to healing and to acceptance of like, this is who I am. This is what I'm going through and that's okay. And um, let me start a journey of, of, of learning more about who I am and how I can show up more powerfully and, and, and be healthier and happier. Cause right now resisting it and accepting that is just allowing, is just stopping me from just being joyful, finding peace of mind and heart. Avrami, do you, uh, can you share with us uh, how you ended up uh, in a place of power and vulnerability and what led you to that, to this moment of realization of that you needed help and how you could, and how you've been helping others? Sure. Thanks, Mayor. <clears throat> thanks for having me. It's really an honor to be here with you and always, always a pleasure to be on with my G in any way, shape or form. Um, obviously, the the circumstances of my Amaishi story are pretty different, but I think there are so many uh, common themes, which is really why we're here today. And so I was sexually abused as a kid, um, starting at age eight and really went on for about a decade. Um, and that put me in a pretty funky place, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, and I think that most importantly, the effect that it had on me, and I think this is something which is often talked about in the, you know, in, in the space of trauma is beyond the primary trauma, the abuse that goes on on its own, there really is that secondary trauma. There really is that, that damage that victims and survivors do to themselves. And I, I think that was a big part of my story that I basically spent a very long part of my life, um, you know, with, with the, uh, <laughs> at this point, it's the overwhelming majority of it fighting myself, fighting the honest version of myself, denying myself that, making every possible effort and just spending intense amounts of emotional energy and, and physical energy to the point of exhaustion to live a life that I wanted to be true. And, and there was kind of that mentality that if I almost will this into existence, if I believe that this is my truth, this is my version of who I am, this is the one that I'm okay with, that that will be true. And everything else which does not fit into that box will kind of fall by the wayside. And, you know, Mayor, similar to what you were saying, I was kind of dragged into therapy when my life had come to the point where I couldn't keep doing that anymore, where, you know, the, the side effects were just becoming way too prominent for me to keep on denying them and to keep on denying them their space and their existence and so on. And for me, therapy was a profound experience. For me, therapy was the idea of, hey, stop living in this world where you are something else, where you are striving every day to create from a new, you know, from, from a fictional level, this existence, which is not you. Get comfortable with this. This is you. This is your version. This is your story. This is your truth. You were abused. You are a survivor of trauma. That is going to impact the rest of your life profoundly. It doesn't make you less of a man. It doesn't make you less of a rabbi. It doesn't make you less of an Orthodox Jew. It, it makes you the very best and be most beautiful version of yourself. And 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 every day that you can get more and more in touch with that, the better off you're going to be, the healthier you're going to be, the fuller your life is going to be. And so for me, that journey towards vulnerability, you know, it began in, in, in one moment in a therapist's office, but for me, it's really daily. It's really, you know, one that you really make a choice to embrace every moment of every day. Of, and, and I think that, you know, you really begin to see this as a, as a common human experience, not just for trauma survivors of, you know, am I comfortable with my set of circumstances? Am I comfortable with my life as it has been given to me by God? Or am I constantly on a journey to try and create something anew? And, and for me, vulnerability really stems from acceptance. It stems from honesty. It, it, it stems from having a, a comfortable relationship with reality. You know, this is, this is who I am. This is me. You know, this is what makes me tick. This is what makes me feel the way I feel. This is what makes me act the way I act. And I got to get on good terms with that because nothing's going to change that. I can't will that out of existence. I can't breathe this other life force into reality and make that true. This is the hand that I've been dealt. And I really need to spend a lot of time and energy being okay with that and being comfortable with that. And for me, that's, you know, being the most honest and authentic version of myself is, is a daily journey. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Massive, massive. I think it's like giving us our, ourselves permission to feel what we want to feel. Like it's, it's, you know, to feel and to be okay with that and, and to stop putting labels of how and who or what and expectations of where you should be, where you could be. And as the famous lines go, stop shooting all over yourself. That's, that's, that's in, in the same amount of, um, of just uh, surrendering. Where did you even begin to, um, and I'm delving into your story a bit, but like, 
what kind of support group or what was, what was, I would say, A, what kind of support group was there? Was there any type of support group around child sexual abuse that you were able to lean on? But what was happening? What was coming up in your life that you recognized like, this is too much? Like, what was that breaking point? You realized, okay, I've been white knuckling it for so long. I need help. So I'll start from the second one. And just chronologically, you know, that, that's the way it goes. It's interesting because in a certain sense, I, I have to give credit to my loved ones in that sense. They were the ones that were realizing that I was white knuckling before I even realized I was white knuckling. And, you know, it, it was a kind of a reality check that my wife and my parents hauled me in. Um, and, and, you know, Sammy Dan was like, something's up. Something's very much up. And they had no idea what was up, you know, but, you know, you are, you, you are out of it. You're a shadow of yourself. You are a, you're, you're, you're a skeleton that's just kind of making, you know, making your way through your day. And as I look back on it now, I really attribute a lot of that and, and why things came to a head beyond the fact that when things bubble up for 15 years, inevitably they will come to a head. They doesn't need a, you know, an, an incredible justification. It does, 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 does just kind of happen that I'd become a father about um, six, seven months before this all happened. And for me, um, becoming a dad, having a son, having a child um, was horrible. And I, and I, and I, and I, and I want to kind of qualify that. And there's a moment when you hold your kid for the first time and, you know, inevitably your kid is going to be squalling and dirty and like, you know, it's not this magical thing that, you know, that they make it out to look like, but there's kind of that bond. There's that moment that your child does make eye contact with you. And I remember my son, you know, in all of his newborn glory, looking up at me. And for me, I felt like he looked into my soul and I couldn't have that because, you know, at that moment, I felt like, you know, this son needs a father. This son needs a father who he will grow up one day to believe can, you know, walk on water and is just the greatest, most incredible human being that, that every, you know, boy needs in their life. And, oh, my God, is that not me? You know, oh, my goodness. And who's going to be this kid's father? Who's going to be that role in, that, in this boy's life? And that, I think, really pushed me over the edge. I think that really kind of, you know began this path that would ultimately lead six months later to, you know, I was, I was not coping with myself anymore. I wasn't accepting myself. I was not, I, I really hated myself to an incredible you know, degree because I was not ready for, for that version of myself to be this little boy's dad. Um, when I, when I came forward, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of a support network. Um, I was Chabad who had been sexually abused as a kid. You know, there wasn't exactly a Facebook group for that at that point. Uh, and, 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 you know, and, and, and where in God's name was I supposed to go to find people who had similar experiences. And interestingly enough, a lot of my support in the beginning came from my local community, you know, came from people here in town, non-Jews, uh, you know, non-Lubavitchers non who I, I could share that with and who I got to know through a number of different ways. Um, I was incredibly fortunate to have someone like Elizabeth Smart become a friend at a very early age. And, and when I came forward and I decided to go public about it, I've been become incredibly fortunate to find an amazing support group of from Yidin and non from Yidin and Lubavitchers and Chassidim of all stripes and, and really people from every walk of life who, you know, we've created that sort of network for each other. And I think that's the greatest responsibility that we have is to create those spaces that we wish would have existed for us. And it's something which I'm very passionate about now about creating that sort of idea of a, of a support network for survivors of sexual abuse. But I, I think for me, it really, it really goes beyond the specifics. It's about creating that sort of space, being that source for people that, that you can share with them and be with them and show them what, you know, what trying to live an honest life looks like, what trying to live an authentic life looks like. And I think that's such a healing idea for people who struggle with any and all sorts of issues. And, and at the end of the day, I think the human experience dictates that if you go through something and you come out better, um, you know, you, you pass that along to the next one. I saw an incredible line a couple of days ago. Um, you know, um, I forget exactly how it went, but life is about um, coming out of hell and, and bring back buckets of water for the folks who are still stuck inside. And then, you know, for me, that that's really about what, what the journey is all about. And the, the most incredible thing you can hope to do as a human being. Wow. That's amazing. Do you, Maish, anything to add to that? Um, I was just so present. I thought of like a bunch of things to ask him, but I'm like, okay, I'll just, I'll just listen. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful. Um, I think, I think there's, um, there's so much more to the word vulnerability than we think. And something that came to me right towards the end of what I was speaking is, you know, I, um, my wife and I saw a marriage counselor a little while back. Um, and it was, 
the type, it was EFT, so emotionally focused therapy, it's the type of therapy which basically has like a cycle. And usually the way we express ourselves is only an outside version of what's really going out on inside, right? So, you know, um, I might say, you know, or my wife might, you know, one of us might make a request of each other or like, hey, why don't we spend so much time with each other? You know, it's anything like that. What's really going on, that's in the outside. What's in the inside is I would love to connect with you. I feel alone, right? It takes so much more vulnerability. It's such a bigger risk to be seen as imperfect, to be seen as as somebody who, who experiences incompleteness without, you know, because at, at that time, the person who I'm saying that to could be like, no, I'm not available. And, and that's taking the risk of rejection. That's taking the risk of really... You know, that's the risk. Vulnerability really means that risk, you know, and authenticity. Take, being authentic is a risk, is a vulnerable thing, you know. Um, so vulnerability um, expresses itself in so many different ways. And I love that we're using the word authenticity because it's really the same thing. It's just a more commonly used word in, you know, in conversation with men who I work with. Oh, authenticity, great. Authenticity is vulnerability. You know, and, and, and being authentic with myself in areas that I'm struggling and being willing to ask for help, that is an expression of authenticity. You know, you want to be authentic with yourself, that's fine. But what are you going to do with that? You know, being vulnerable, yeah. I love that uh, thing uh, in the arena, right? If I want to live, oh, and there was another thing that I've heard me said. It was like, I will not, I don't, I can't continue living knowing that this is going to be the version of a father that my kid is going to grow up with. You know, how many times have I said, how many times have I heard people say, I can't stand this version of me. You know, I'm not being myself. I just want to be okay. I just want to be me. I just want to be calm. I just want to be at peace. It's all expressions of the same thing. I just want to be me. So one of the ways that I can allow myself to be me is actually admit that there's a part of me that I feel is incomplete. And it doesn't mean I have to go onto the rooftops. I'm not saying be vulnerable with the, with, with the world and get on a megaphone. Not everybody has to do that. But speak to someone if you can't handle it on your own, you know? And um, that's it. What are some, what are some, th- what are some signs or th- things that show up for somebody if, when they're resisting vulnerability, being authentic? What are some of those thoughts? What are some of those actions for someone who's listening could say like, oh, wait, that's something that I do. It's sort of to self-diagnose himself to realize that, there's room for them to be a bit more authentic about what, where they're at. I think it can really be in so many different ways, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I used to only go to the doctor. I would go to the doctor with a paper that had a list of problems. I wasn't willing to go to the doctor and say, hey, I have a rash on my leg. Or have uh, only if I have definitely significant amount, because otherwise I'm not worthy of a visit to the doctor. You know, if if you're doing things like that, you're waiting for a big catastrophe to happen. You're waiting for your bottom to kick you, make you go for help. Um, it doesn't have to be like that. You don't have to begin your journey on your way to the roof. Anytime you notice that, something, hey, you know, I could be better. Great. Talk to somebody if you can, if you try it on your own, it's not working. It's all about like be authentic with yourself. Is it working? Great. If it's not working, want to ask for help. I think that's the most general thing, but it could be expressed in so many different ways. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess you also mentioned it earlier, right? When you when your wife did bring up to say, "Hey, should we go see somebody?" and you resisted that, like, "Hey, you could go see somebody." Perhaps anytime you come against resistance, you could throw we question yourself. Why am I resisting this? Why am I not doing it? And perhaps there's a legitimate reason there, but to have that, like, you know, radical, um, honesty with oneself and like, what is it that I'm afraid of to share? Why am I afraid to show up and support my loved one or to have an honest conversation? What am I? And if there's that little voice in your head that says, Oh, I'm going to take this thing to the grave or, and I think, right. We're going to delve into this major, a nice segue to step into shame right now. Maybe if you feel like there's some shame around that, um, then that could be a good indicator to say, Hey, let me speak to a, a close friend or a professional around this thing that took place to me earlier on or something that a thought or an action that happened to me or I did 
um, from a, and, and, and start inquiring about that because sometimes we want to compartmentalize compartmentalize the, those types of uh, scenarios that took place in our life. And, and that I know I've come in that regard. Part of my story is, um, is I delved deep, deep into depression and I would have this one face. One way I showed up into the world was this positive, outgoing, excited type of human being, um, which, you know, through different work that I've done, of course, is a way for me to survive during my teen years or even earlier to be accepted, to be loved, to entertain, which I, I do love. And, and thank God it comes from a place now of a true authenticity. But a lot of it was survival throughout the day, throughout my years, my earlier years, moving from school to school, being the youngest in the class, being bullied, trying to be accepted. So always trying to be the funny guy or trying to entertain. And, and there's a lot of that rooted in that. So as I grew older and these, these other challenges and thoughts and and came up in my being, I would just sort of put this into one room and, and be this person in one room and start dividing myself. And slowly but surely, I was able to work walk that tightrope. But over time, I lost my balance and I got confused and I doubt and like, who am I? What am I? And the the very sad, depressed, you know, part of mayor who felt like he, the younger, the small child with within me who didn't get that love and attention and and and. And, and validation uh, overtook this uh, this sort of joyful persona that I was that I was showing to the world, and it wasn't doing an injustice to the people who were who were engaging with that side because they thought that that was always possible, and it wasn't it wasn't the human experience. It was like, how do I achieve this total radical ecstasy of joy always? And for some time, I put that pressure on myself to be that person, to always be that person. And that's that can exist. But I've come to realize that that's it's not it's not fair and it's not true. And and part of what's beautiful about the human being is that even within the word broken is the word okay. And it's okay to have those all facets of oneself and when accepting oneself, one can really truly deeply pull from from a well of meaning, a purpose, and and real joy. And and joy not necessarily is always with a smile on one's face, but it just there's a certain peace and, and tranquility that's within. Uh, so there is um to tie it back is so. If one recognizes that there's a certain divide in their being and their in their own personality, that they show up one way or they, or they feel like they only be comfortable being one type of person in certain friend groups or family members, and then they show up a different way in different family groups. I would go back home on Shabbos and, and, and the weekends to my family, and they're like, we heard, we saw on your stories, or we saw here that you showed, you did this X, Y, and Z, and you performed. Like, where's that mayor? Where's that personality um, that that people engage with? But when you come back home, you're a whole different type of person. Of course, I've come to realize coming back home just brings up a whole lot of triggers. No, no pointing fingers at, at my family or 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 at the place where I grew up in. Of course not. But just like Ram Das says, if you feel like you hit, you know. Um, if you hit a uh, spiritual awakening, spend a weekend with your family, you know, like it just, there's just so much, there's so much that's there, so much baggage, so much uh, complexity that when we go back home, things can come up. So uh, when I, so that was a big indicator realizing that, yeah, I showed up one way in the world and one way here and one way there. And to balance all those masks and all those roles was quite draining. So only did I, only once I started walking down the path of healing and doing the work and, you know, we could define what that work looks like. We, that, that new age word is used a lot. What's that work mean? Um, once I started doing the work, did I start to uncover the, the different, uh, the specifics of why I operate the way I do going to the root of the problem, not just putting a bandaid over it, not just, you know, switching one numbing mechanism for another, but really, why is it that I feel like I need to numb? Why is it, do I feel depressed? What, what is it that I didn't get now? Where am I trying to get out of myself to feel happy um, or to feel content? Uh, once I start asking these types of questions and, and being in this place of curiosity and not flogging myself, but just being curious about myself, can, can I, can I, has, have I been able to get to a, a healthier place of operating and, and leading my life? So went on a little rant over there. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, <laughs> but um, what, what does the work like work? What does the work look like for both of you? Starting with my Um It starts off today for me. Um, it's continuously doing the work, but every once in a while, like really digging deep and saying, who is my shin? Who is my shin? And, um, 
recently, I, I uh, as a Remy knows, oh, I'm there. You know, too, you were right there when I said I'm basically I'm, I'm reclaiming my second name, yeah, which is Dove. Which you means know, bear. Who am I? Yeah, which means bear, right? And um, you know, growing up when I was little, I I was called names, and um, and I was called names in a way that made me feel really ashamed to be me. And the names that I was called were mostly with my name, Moshe, and then another name, some sort of degrading name. And the work for me was in the beginning, which I'm talking, what I'm saying in the beginning, I'm talking about, so about eight and a half years ago is when I hit my bottom, when I, when I really felt like there was no reason to live. So over that year, two years, um, the work in regards to this specifically was as soon as I catch myself calling myself a name, because that's what I would do. I'd call myself a name. It was this one day specifically. I remember, I think I was running, running late somewhere. And I was like running down my stairs in my, in my house. And I was like halfway down the stairs and I caught myself catch, uh, calling myself a name. I'm like, whoa, wait, you don't have to do that, man. You don't have to do that. And I started like, Soothing, self-soothing. That's the way the work began in regards to that specifically, right? So back in the day, it was just absorbing all of those names and, and really like embodying it. And then automatically that turns into, I'm never capable, I'm not good enough. But, you know, they called me that. Now I have to prove them that I'm not that. So like my entire existence is based on trying to prove somebody wrong, which means my very identity is in the hands of some comment that somebody told me and I have to prove them wrong. So it's a very survival way of being. That transformed over the last year or so to doing some coaching work. And the coaching work for me was what are my desires? And being specific that I'm not talking about my needs. I'm talking about what are my desires? And one of them was like, I would love to coach people. Why would you love to coach people? Because I want to make an impact. And what type of impact is that? One that becomes an invitation for others to be themselves, right? And through this whole process, right, I really get clear about like, who is Moshe, right? So for me at this point that I know of is that I know that I am kind and gentle. Oh, first and foremost, I know that I am an expression of God because everything is God. And I am one of his expressions. And God is good. And I believe that God is good. So I am a loving, a good expression of God's goodness. That's first and foremost. And how I express that goodness in the world is in a way of being kind and gentle. Of being bold sometimes with my gentleness and kindness. And, <clears throat> and being a bear sometimes. And being a leader. And, and really shaking somebody up to help them see who they are. That's who I believe I am today, right? So for me, the work is I do something that is imperfect. And that's what happens. I do that. And then I can, by default, instinctually call myself names, criticize myself. And as soon as I realize that and I'm conscious of the criticism, I say, hey, wait, wait, wait. Pause. You know, that pause. Self-forgive. Everything that God does is for a reason. God runs the world. God is good. And if he put me right here, right now, then it must be that this is the best thing for me. And wait a second, in case anybody's thinking this, because I go through this all the time. How do you just, you can't just accept. What do you mean? If you're, you're saying that this is okay, how do you just accept that this is, you know? And so what happens is for me is like, I have a hard time accepting it sometimes. And what I do is, is I say, can I be okay and accept myself as somebody who is having a hard time accepting things the way they are? Can I accept myself as somebody who's half-baked? Which, by the way, I always thank the person who made cookie dough a snack. I think I told that to Remy. You know, half, you don't need to be fully cooked to be a snack. So, uh, I know that's <laughs> kind of funny, but um, if I, I am where I am right now, if I can accept myself as somebody, even if it means that I'm accepting myself as somebody who's imperfect, um, that is the work for me today from an identity level. Um, yeah, thanks, man. Man, I love what you said about you know really getting down to the roots because for me, I think when I talk when I think about the work of being honest with myself, for me it was about vocabulary. It was about really getting down to the roots of something. And I often think about the fact, you know, 
what are the acceptable things for men to be in society? Men are allowed to be happy and upbeat and positive. If they're not happy and upbeat and positive, then it's socially acceptable for men to be angry. You know, angry is a very masculine trait, right? You know, someone crosses our path, we have to fix their wagon, teach them a lesson. Angry is, is fine. And if we're not happy and we're not angry, then we're sick, tired, or hungry. You know, if we're having a rough day, it's to be blamed on one of those factors. Not feeling well, didn't sleep well last night, skipped lunch, you know, and that's why I'm kind of off my game now. For me, putting in the work was about learning a whole new set of vocabulary words, adding a whole bunch of definitions to my, to my dictionary. I can be sad. I can be uncomfortable. I could be disappointed. I could be let down. I could be inadequate. I could be a whole bunch of things. And, and, you know, I think when I think about putting in the work of, of being honest with myself, um, it's really about getting down to the root of something. And so, you know, there will be an encounter and I'll come out feeling really thrown off. So, I, the old me would have immediately pivoted to anger. I'm angry. You know, why are you angry? Well, because, you know, this, this, and this, and this happened. But, but why am I angry about that? You know, no one involved in the situation intentionally tried to slight me, tried to hurt me, tried to harm me, tried to be the least bit disrespectful. Things just, just didn't work out my way. And that's a cause for sadness. And that's a cause for for, um, you know, for, for definitely definite feelings of unease and something which needs to be dealt with, but that's not anger. That's, you know, that's, that's something else. And that requires a whole different set of circumstances. And, and I know I mentioned earlier how, how much of my journey is about through fatherhood, but a couple of years ago, I got a call from a colleague of mine who had a question in, in the abuse space. He, he goes for the summer, he goes to visit his in-laws and his kids very often go to play in someone's house. And he's got his concerns about the dad in that house. And, you know, the kids all get along great, but he's got his concerns. How should he bring it up to his kids? What should he say? Should he make an issue out of it? So I said to him, I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, you know, are you, are you comfortable telling your kids that um, you feel uncomfortable about, you know, the dad in that house? He just makes you feel uncomfortable. So the guy says, no. I said, well, why not? So he says, well, I would never, I would never tell my kids, I, I guess I've never had a conversation with my kids where I shared with them that I was uncomfortable about something. Right? Like, you know, it, it, typically in our lexicon, things are either bad or unholy, or that's it. Like, you know, that notion that there's another person and that makes me just feel uncomfortable, just makes me feel uneasy was something which he had never contemplated before. And for me, it, was, it wasn't so much about his experiences. It was a, gave me a chance to reflect on my experiences. You know, can I sit down at the dinner table and be honest with my kids? You know, we encourage our children. And when I say we, I don't just mean me and my wife. I think we as humanity encourage our kids to be honest about, you know, how they feel when they come home from school. And, you know, there was this little riff on the, on the playground and someone else took your bike and what happened? And well, you know, I'm not, I don't know. I just, I, it, it really stunk that the kid took my bike. Oh, you know, that made you feel really sad. It made you feel uncomfortable. If we want our kids to get there and not just to immediately punch the other kid in the face, we yeah. should be modeling feelings of being uncomfortable. You know, oh, I had a meeting today and this guy said something to me in the meeting. And you know what? It made me just really feel uncomfortable. It just made me really feel kind of uneasy. And, and for me, getting down to the root of things was crucial and, and, and really relearning those words. Mm. I love that. I love that you, um, how you added those vocabulary words to, the, to, your, to your way of being. I remember sitting in, in the therapist, my therapist office for the first time and on the wall, he had this big poster with different faces and like the amount of emotions that were on, like, it was tens, like 30, 40. I was like, and like point to the one that you're feeling now. And they were so intricate and detailed, more than just angry, sad, and like lonely and happy and joy. Like there was a bunch of other ones and kudos to the artist who was able to like really draw out each emotion. But yes, like adding more vocabulary, learning how to communicate more, right? And that's the beautiful thing about relationships is how to communicate how you are feeling to your partner. And interesting enough to your kids, I remember, I know I'm like to the game, but I recently watched Inside Out, uh, the Pixar film. And one of the most touching, the touching moment in the film, which, which I teared up about, was when the child and spoiler alert came home uh, uh, from running away. And she was just she she ran away because she was angry and wanted to go back to the life you know her short story is her parents moved along with her to a new city and she missed her old friends and and the way of her activities back in her old hometown and she wanted to run away because she was angry wanted to go back to how things were and long and behold fear kicked in and she got scared and she ran back home to her parents and they all hugged and in that moment she she started to cry and she was and she started to share saying how she missed her family her friends how she missed her team her hockey team and in that moment, what her parents did was 
besides validating her feelings, they shared about their feelings. They shared how they missed their friends and how missed they, how missed they missed their job and missed their own home. And that was a beautiful thing to watch because sometimes, and sometimes I'm not a parent myself, but I feel like I can sometimes lose respect or lose authority um, or I'll be judged by sharing, you know, my feelings to someone who's younger than myself or to a partner of mine. And I wonder if we could address that like fear of, you know, how can I, if my wife or my partner, or my girlfriend expects me to be the man of the house, to be the breadwinner, to be the guy who could hold the emotion of, of her and everybody else, they may lose respect if I say, hey, I'm scared or I'm feeling inadequate or I'm feeling insecure or I feel these different types of emotions or tell that to your children. Where's that line? How much do you share with your children about your own fears about what's going on in the world or what's going on in their life? Isn't there a certain, is there a line? Is there not? And if yes, what, what does that look like? Well, I guess I can go. Go, my G. Me? No, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, this is one of my favorite poems, which um, if anybody's a teacher or a parent or anybody who wants to create change in the world, mm. no, no written word, no spoken plea will teach our youth what they should be, nor the books upon the shelves, but what the teachers are themselves. And the question is, I ask myself, do I want my kids to have a limit to when they say, okay, this is too much for my parents to handle? And if the answer is no, then I shouldn't be an example of that. If I'm an example of, of course, I don't, I don't put my kids in a position of where they need to comfort me. That is unhealthy. That is not the, the place for a parent, but to say, you know, Tati's really sad. You know, and sometimes I cry and I do. And sometimes I say, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. And that takes a lot of vulnerability. You're allowed to make mistakes. You're allowed to be sorry. You're allowed to be sad. And you're allowed to be hurt. You know, it's more than anything. I'm just going to throw it out there. Somebody could prove me wrong later. One of the greatest sources of emotional pain is our intolerance for our pain, is our intolerance for emotions. I'm feeling anxious. I can't feel anxious right now. I got things to do. Intolerance for sadness, intolerance for emotions. If we could allow emotions to be, it's just like anything else. Emotions are just like our physical. Like if we have a clot, God forbid, that would be just like saying, I'm feeling fear and just like shut it out and shove it down. It's going to bubble up. It's going to be some sort of pain at some point whether it's hurt, shame, fear, sadness, or smug. I know smug is on that list, on that uh, chart. Um, yeah, that's my thoughts of Remy. I think that vulnerability's greatest asset is boundaries. Uh, now, I think that the reason why most people struggle with vulnerability is because of a over, over, cautious, over cautiousness about boundaries. I think that... Yeah, both sides of the coin when it comes to boundaries are so crucial when it comes to vulnerability. And so, yes, I think that when we try and portray that role model for our children of being someone who's authentic and honest about their feelings, boundaries are key, right? We, we don't, you know, we, we shouldn't be making our children, our therapist or our, you know, coffee friend and be oversharing with them. And I think that, you know, finding a way to incorporate our children into those conversations and to be honest and to say, you know, oh, I had a rough day, this happened, you know, be honest with them without, oversharing or kind of violating those safe boundaries is key. But I think they're more important when it comes to sharing with a spouse, with a partner, with a significant other in our lives to realize that at that point, what is the greatest concern for us to feel vulnerable in that moment? Oftentimes it's perception. And I think exactly like Maishi said, our, the way we, we assume others are perceiving us is so often poisoned by our perception of ourselves. And so I think it starts with, with, us taking down the boundaries around ourselves. You know, I today, you know, I had a rough day. I underachieved today. You know, I went to the office and I had a whole bunch of things to do and I needed to show up in these and these ways. And I didn't today. You know, I'm so concerned about sharing that with someone else and, 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 and freaking out about how they're going to react to that. Let me start with me. Let me start with how I'm absorbing that information and realizing the walls that I put up around myself, realizing the amount of judgment that I put up around myself and see how easily those walls will come down in the minds of other people as well. Uh, Oftentimes, 
a question I'll get about, you know, the my, my journey and the choices that were associated with it is, you know, weren't you scared and weren't you terrified about how people would react to your story going public? And the answer is, well, sure, to a point, yeah, obviously. But at that point, I had done the work to really accept myself to such an extent that other people's reactions really were second place. You know, I knew how I felt about myself. I knew how my wife felt about myself. I knew how people in my close and immediate circle felt about myself. And at that point, I was so positively influenced about the perception of my story in the minds of others that people were welcome to react however they react. And, 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 that's, and that's their choice because I, I was okay with it. You know, and, and like you were mentioned earlier, Mayor, you know, you, you realize that okay is the center of the word broken. And, you know, I, I was okay with my shortcomings. I was okay with my, you know, with my inadequacies. I was okay with, with everything that made me up. I was okay with my good qualities too. And as a result of that, you know, every, everybody else can take a number. And if they don't like this version of myself, uh, I'm afraid that's too bad. You know, I, I'm just fine with it. And, uh, um, and I think that once you kind of get that, that healthy usage of boundaries on both ends, I think that's what makes everything go. Yeah, that's, 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 it always comes back to, uh, and I'm, I'm why she speak a lot about hashtag self-love um, and, and acceptance, but it, it seems like it's coming up in a, in a lot of this conversation. And, and I think for, I know for myself and perhaps a lot of men could connect with that too. I'm going back to the idea of us accepting yourself of where you are today, letting go of all the preconceived notions of what you think it's, it, it, it it's supposed to look like or how it's supposed to look like what it was taught to you through media, social media, through other male figures in your life, grandparents, but really validating your feelings in it, not saying, okay, this is how I am and stop right there, but to really start that journey of self-discovery, but to really accept yourself and to, and to be okay with where you are and start. And now you have a platform. Now you have a starting point to start moving forward from instead of keeping it to very obscure, obscure thoughts and ideas. But what do you answer to somebody who, you know, is, who's a little skeptical, right? It all stems from my childhood. All really, it's all, you know, childhood stuff. It's all childhood related. And what do you mean? I had a great childhood. I, my parents provided for me. Um, I had a safe home. I, I, I had, maybe we weren't rich. Uh, we had clothing. I got a good education. How do you go about answering to somebody who says that I, I had a safe, happy childhood. Um, so it can't be anything in that regard. There's no connection there. That's such a good point. I'm so happy you brought it up, Mayor. Um, it's definitely something that was part of my journey, and I see it all the time. How can I possibly show that I'm struggling if I don't have a story to back it up? Mm, well said. You know, I'm close with many people, and I was a lot of my close friends experienced childhood trauma. And I looked at myself, and I'm like, how are you justifying this then? How are you justifying feeling this way, this behavior, et cetera? You know, you weren't, I literally told this to myself, like I wasn't sexually abused. How dare I, you know, how dare I have deep emotional issues? <laughs> how dare I have deep emotional issues if I wasn't, you know, I didn't experience childhood sexual abuse. Um, so what I suggest to somebody at that moment is um, um, allow yourself to just see yourself the way you are right now today are you struggling it's okay to struggle it's okay to struggle it doesn't mean just not do anything about it the, the, the self-acceptance right the, the, what is my you know, I think this is very fundamental. What is the foundation of all of my, the work, all of the work I'm doing? Is it coming from a state of non-self-acceptance? Intolerance of who I think I am? Intolerance? Me not being up to par and therefore I, I need to prove myself? Or is it coming from a place of I am perfect just the way I am? And I've been, I've been itching to say this line from Leonard Cohen, which, which is quoted a lot, is um, everything's got a crack in it, and that's how the light gets in. Um, that's the whole point of this entire life, is to bring light to the, um, to the darkness. And um, 
if I have no darkness, then, you know, God, God didn't intend for us all to be angels. Otherwise, he would have made us angels. We're human and we're, we have faults and we have things. And I love the way Chaim Fogelman actually tells me. He says, the, the sun never sees the dark side of the moon. You know, because it's always shining and it's always offering love and, 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 and light to whatever side the moon is showing, right? So for me, that is, it's accepting that that's where I am today and it's okay. Um, and I don't need to have a traumatic story to justify my pain. I'm allowed to just look at me to myself today and if I'm experiencing sadness or loneliness or pain or disconnect, and I feel like I need something, I need someone. Sorry about that. I feel like I'm, I'm needy of something. They acknowledge that that's the way. It's it's okay. That's that's just where I am right now. And 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 as long as I can allow myself to be broken, that becomes the way of I become way much greater than if I if I didn't have a problem at all. You know, the 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 most the proudest moment of every teacher is when a kid who's having a struggle comes back together and, and, and is able to learn something. You know, the greatest moment of love for the student is when he's not doing well and the teacher loves them anyway. The, you know, our greatest feelings uh, uh, and experiencing of achievements come from the greatest challenges that we have. So, yeah, if you're at a place where you're having a hard time justifying the pain you're in, I invite you to just let yourself be right here now in the moment and acknowledge that, man, I'm feeling pain and, and I'd love to feel better. And where, how can I feel better in a healthy way? Of course, I know for me, it was drugs, alcohol, and, uh, you know, today it's, it could be the phone. It could be anything. That's my thoughts. I, I also love that question. And I think that it's got very little to do with childhood trauma. My issues are not necessarily the trauma that I went through in my childhood. My issues were my inability to deal with that childhood trauma. And I think that a lot of that inability doesn't come from the trauma itself. A lot of that, that inability comes from society, comes from societal norms and societal definitions, which have got very little to do with the trauma itself. Most people, thankfully, statistically, you know, don't have a significant trauma in their past. Yet, most people are in pain. You know, most people are struggling through something. Everyone is going through something on any given day. The issue is not the fact that we go through things. The issue, I think, more is that we find ourselves in a world, we find ourselves in a society which doesn't know what to do with that. Um, I remember a real watershed moment for me. It was actually two years ago, just a little over two years ago. Right when I came forward, there was this thing that happened here in town. I'm a big sports fan, and there was a player on the Jazz who... Uh, thought he was worthy of making the all-star team and he didn't and he visibly cried in a press conference and you know the local media or the national media I should say absolutely lost their marbles you know what what kind of betrayal of a of, of, of an athlete is this to our kids and i was like that's profound the guy suffered an enormous level of disappointment like how many of us go through that level of disappointment on a regular basis and you know want to cry want to be really upset about something and instead we need to mask that instead you know we need we're we're taught there's these voices of how we need to handle that you know, if he would have showed up at the press conference and said, you know, well, I don't care about the darn all-star game, you know, I'm just here to win a championship, well, bravo, you know, wow, well, that is some great, you know, male attitude right there. No, the guy was heartbroken. He was devastated. And, and, and that's how he reacted to, you know, pain and devastation was he wore his emotions on his sleeve. And to me, that really kind of reinforced that the issues are not necessarily what we go through. It's how we're programmed to deal with them once we've gone through them. And so for people who say, you know, gosh, I've got all these issues and, and, and I had a great childhood. We all do. When, you know, when I say, oh, I don't say all, all of us trauma survivors, we all humans do. And the sad thing is that we live in a world which kind of hands out, you know, these slips of entitlement, you know, okay, you were traumatized, you know, you're entitled to, to feel a certain way. You are not, you've got to go to the regular men's line and tough it out and, you know, puff your chest out. And I think that's the greater issue than the actual traumas.
Yeah, so good. So good. It's a good point that the world does not know how, how to deal with it sometimes. We want to, just like ourselves, right, with, with judging people, we want to, there's so much happening that our sensory, we want to put people in a box. We, okay, this makes sense. This is the person. He's wearing the leather jacket, the tattoos, tough person, tough man. I like to go over to some people who I just judge right away and just have a conversation with them so just to fool myself and teach myself that it's, you know, just remind myself that it's not what, how people are perceived. The other day I was in the park, I saw this big guy muscles and uh straight out intimidation talk about masculine masculine uh comparison and and uh i went over to him and said hey what's up how you doing i think you'll be great for for a part that i'm you know casting for and he was the sweetest guy He's so sweet such a nice soft-spoken human being just um but anyways a little sidetrack but also just to break down those those ideas of how we want to just we how we expect certain people to show up and when they're not we're disappointed and we sort of recoil from it and like oh you must be this way um I think there's a, another beautiful, beautiful thing to look at when we look back at our childhood. And to, I agree with you, I mean, not always can't, is it always associated with that. However, um, to look into your own story and to see perhaps all your physical needs were met as a child, but perhaps some emotional needs weren't there. Were you able to go over? And this is something that I know, Masha, you, you talk on and you coach around too, and to bring awareness around is like, yes, you had the clothing on your back and you had tasty food and, and dinner and three meals a day. However, and you had friends, but you know, were you able to express your emotions to your parents? Do you feel like they were listened to and validated for? Were you, did you feel safe or did you, you know, bring up something? Were you sad? Were you afraid? Did you apologize when you cried it, uh, to your parents? Um, and that sometimes could run a lot more deep, deep, deep trauma and insecurity and, and trust issues. If you feel like you weren't able to have the emotional stability and support that you needed as a child, and that could easily, and that does come through as you grow into your teens and, and adulthood as well. Just something to ponder about um, when looking into that into the childhood arena. With just a few few more minutes left um, on this in this conversation, which of course we only touched a tip of the iceberg. What's perhaps something I wanted to post to you guys, or something close to your heart, something on your mind, or an important topic, or an idea that we didn't touch on now that you want to bring to light? Some closing remarks around that. No, I think I'm good. Remy? I, whenever we talk about an issue that's so big, I often find that doing something actionable gets lost just in the magnitude of the conversation. And, you know, I know that I acknowledge we're talking about kind of what we've been referring to as a societal issue, you know, the way the world looks at something. And I think that when you have a conversation around that, you know, you, you finish the conversation, you're like, okay, well, seems like this is a pretty, pretty big problem. And, you know, there's me and my little, uh, you know, my, my, my little fork and uh, we'll see what we can do about, you know, society's society's issue. And I'm a firm believer that, that societal change starts with personal change. You know, there's a beautiful quote from the Rougeneur that, you know, when he was a young boy, he thought he was going to make a difference and change the world. And when he got a little older and a little wiser, he realized he was going to make a difference and change his city. And when he really reached the apex of wisdom, he realized that the, the best thing he could do was change himself. Um, you know, I, I believe that seeing societal change starts, forget your house, starts with you and your life. You know, we talk about men being more honest and being more authentic and being, being more vulnerable. I realize that the only person that I can really see that change happen to is myself. And, and every single day, you know, to worry less about how that issue is being changed on a cosmic level and every single day to think to myself, how honest am I being with others right now? But more importantly, more importantly than that, how honest am I being with myself? And, and I think for me, obviously being more, being honest with myself is the biggest challenge more so than being honest with others, because, um, you know, it's, 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 we're our own biggest critic. We're our own biggest critic. We are the ones who have lived in our head the longest. We have had, we have had the best courtside seat to our entire life for the longest time. All of our wins, all of our losses, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And as such, the ability for us to be honest with ourselves is a an enormous struggle. And so, for me, when I speak about you know, when when I think about you know this issue that's got to change on a societal level, I think about you know, okay, that's great. In the next hour, I'm going to be doing a, a, B, and C. What do I need to be keeping an eye for? Where, where do I need to be concerned about, you know, portraying myself a certain way, thinking about things a certain way? Am I being absolutely honest with myself? And I know that if I'm honest with myself, I, you know, I put that light out there and, you know, hopefully someone else picks up on it and that light continues to spread. But ultimately the work starts with me and, and that's something which I need to do. And that's something which I try to do every single day. Amazing. 
That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much, Avrami. Mushi, thank you so much for both of you guys for showing up and being uh, tremendous voices in this space of vulnerability, of authenticity, uh, not just sharing your stories um, with the world, but also on a day-to-day basis, having your own leadership uh, and communities in which you're helping other people, other men and women and children to grow uh, and to be in touch with who they are and to be the, the great light and to show up more powerfully in the world. Uh, how could either one of you be found, uh, starting with Avrami and then Maishi? Um, um, catch me on social media, at Utah Rabbi, on Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter. You know, For now, those, those are the big three that we're, uh, that we're dealing with, maybe Clubhouse in the future. But in the meantime, um, look me up on social media. I try to be very responsive. I've, I've had the good fortune of being helped on social media, and so I try to pass that along. So definitely, at Utah Rabbi, on all the major platforms. Yeah, I'm here. Um... Coach Moisha at Coach Moisha M O I S H E on uh, Instagram on Moisha Khan and M O I S H E C H A N I N on Facebook. Those are the easy ways. I'm also try to be as responsive as possible. You know, if there's any way that I can assist somebody in this arena, I hope you'll you'll give us a shot. We've done it, and we'll be happy to share with you how how you can do it too. Thank you, Mayor, for hosting us. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for showing up and have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast episode. And I want to give a big thank you to Moshe Khanan and Rabbi Avermit Sippel for showing up so powerfully and courageously today. You can learn more about both gentlemen in the podcast episode description. So do check that out. And of course, I want to give a big thank you to Shreitz Matzos, the podcast episode sponsor. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. You can check, more, check them out at www.streitsmatzos.com Use the code MayorK for 10% off your order. And of course, they are the last family-owned matzo bakery. They got the guaranteed freshness and quality on all their products. So this Passover, the right way is the right way. Do check them out and thank you so much for your support. And so like I always say, stay positive, be happy. I'm Mayor K and have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in today.